Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We represent various groups working on literacy in the state. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelly Bill Smith. Today, we will be talking to Mrs. Kristen Wynn, State Director of Literacy for the Mississippi Department of Education. Kristen's service in the field of education spans 15 plus years, including teaching first and second grade, as well as serving as a kindergarten through fifth grade intervention specialist. Previously served as a literacy coach for the Mississippi Department of Ed, a regional literacy coordinator, and assistant state literacy coordinator, and currently serves as the state literacy director where she has worked diligently to improve literacy outcomes of schools and districts across Mississippi. She is the co-creator of the Passport to Literacy and Passport to Literacy Boost, which is a pre-K through second grade literacy professional development training for teachers. During the 2016-17 school year, she co-produced the Mississippi Department of Ed's Literacy Focus of the Month in Action instructional videos featuring literacy coaches and students in Mississippi classrooms. During the 17-18 school year, she began working with coaches to increase the rigor and consistency of writing instruction in kindergarten through sixth grade classrooms through the development and implementation of writing galleries. Currently, she serves as a member of the Mississippi Reading Licensure Task Force, the Mississippi Reading Panel, the Higher Ed Literacy Council, and the Governor's Task Force for Teacher Preparation and Early Literacy Instruction. She is the wife of Detective David Wynn II and the mother of two wonderful boys, Braxton and Parker. She is committed to ensuring equitable access for all students to effective literacy instruction, highly qualified teachers, and high-quality instructional materials. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for weeks. So can you start by telling us about your background and how you got involved in the work of literacy? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So prior to 2013 is when our literacy initiative in Mississippi, our big push, really started. And so prior to that, I was serving in two schools in a large school district in Mississippi, one in a more rural area and, and another it was extremely large. I had lots of students, K-5. So I was working specifically with struggling students at that time. And then I applied for the position um, as literacy coach with the state that went out in 2013. And our LBPA, which is our Literacy-Based Promotion Act, passed that spring. And so the MDE was looking for literacy coach to provide support to some of the lowest performing schools in Mississippi. Our governor's goal was to have 75 coaches and they went through at the time around 500 applicants and that August of 2013 there were 24 of us that walked through MDE doors through those double doors that August morning. So to kind of be the boots on the ground to get this initiative started. 
So I am lucky to have served as a part of this initiative in serving and supporting the teachers and families and students in Mississippi since 2014, since the initiative started. And I'm still here today (laughs) in a different capacity, uh, but still serving and supporting our state's literacy initiative. And what a huge change that has happened during that time. And of course, half of the country or probably more than half of the country has looked at what you've done as a model for how to change their literacy instruction. So most people think of athletics when they think of coaching. As a literacy coach, what are you working with teachers on? Oh, that's a great question. As a literacy coach, you're really working with teachers on implementation of effective classroom instruction that really yield high student outcomes. So just like a coach, and like you use the analogy, and I really love that, but just like a coach, this requires training. So we know that athletic coaches, they train. And so I look at that, the overarching goal being implementation of effective classroom structure. The training is the PLCs. So that job embedded professional learning that coaches provide teachers. Also coaches, we know do a lot of practicing. They practice and prepare for game day. So I look at the practice opportunities for coaching to include modeling and co-teaching. So that's what coaches do. They go in, they model, they co-teach with teachers. They allow teachers to maybe even come in and do some additional practices during PLCs to prepare for the big game like a coach. And so I look at the preparing for game day is preparing to deliver an effective lesson where students are engaged, you're getting the feedback you need from the students. That's a great analogy. So I look at those areas, the the training, the practice opportunities, and preparing for the game is essential to effective literacy coaching. I love using sports as an analogy because people understand those analogies, but I don't know that we often think of preparing for our time with students like players on a football field and Mm -hmm. possibly because we're having to do it all day, every day, but we don't get the time to do practice as much as what we would really like. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, And that's, I feel like that's where coaching comes in and is coaching is really essential because it gives teachers, coaches also plan with teachers. So, you know, you have to like, like a athletic coach has a playbook. So you have to have a plan. So teachers and coaches also plan together. So as a part of that planning, then they can have this strategic outline of next steps. So it may be, I need additional practice opportunities. I need some additional prep to prepare for the game day. So literacy coaching is is so important. And we've seen teachers just grow from it, from being able to have a thought partner, that support mechanism as they're they're sharpening their craft. And I agree uh, completely. Mm-hmm. Just having been in the school and seeing literacy coaches work with teachers and how much teachers want that help. Everyone wants to do well. And so what a bonus to have someone there whose job is to help you. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had a coach when I was a first 
and or second grade teacher. <laughs> oh, I wish that uh, I had had a coach as a classroom teacher. I did have a, a coach as a uh, elementary principal, and I'm convinced it made the biggest difference in my career trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of coaching. That being said, there's lots of challenges to coaching effectively. What are some of the elements that make it work well? And then how do you assist others as they attain those skills? So we have a, I would say, a really solid coaching model. We took the time on the front end, not to just kind of, as we were building the plane and flying it at the same time, to really be strategic about how we coached and, and our model. So our model is a non-evaluative model, and we really communicate that on the front end. We are there as a support mechanism to teachers. We are there to provide the instructional supports that they need, but we're not there to evaluate them. This is a a growth model. We want to see teachers grow and strive and thrive. So one thing about our coaching, one element is that we implemented what is called the coaching continuum. And on this continuum, you can see where teachers may need some additional support. So you may, some teachers, wherever they fall on the particular continuum, may just need resources. They may just need to understand how to really manage their resources. Some teachers need some additional professional learning outside of the PLCs or the larger professional development offered by the coach. Some may need focused classroom visits, some may need additional co-planning, study groups, demonstration lessons, peer coaching, and others may need additional co-teaching opportunities. So we use that and we've really trained coaches on the literacy coaching continuum. In addition, we also provide training on effective feedback. And feedback is two-way. So you have to be able to give effective feedback and you also have to be able to receive that feedback and receive it in a form where it's not personal. It's feedback that coaches, we train them on how to give objective feedback, not saying, oh, I like or using things that could be very subjective. So we really train on and that's a part of communication. So we really do some heavy training on the continuum, giving and receiving effective feedback. We do a lot on professional learning and most importantly, because you can have all of this and you can have this awesome coaching model. But relationship building is at the top. So we take the time early on in our coaching model to talk to teachers and we give this instruction to our coaches that the first two weeks is about building relationships. So before you go into a classroom to do an observation, to look at data, then you need to take the time to build relationships with the people that you will be supporting. And so we have really, really focused on relationship building and understanding adult personalities because working with students is one thing, but there's a whole different layer of how you have to work with adults. And so we've really been very strategic about personalities and how how you work with different personalities to build those lasting, trusting relationships as a coach. 
Absolutely. And even though what you were describing, this differentiation for support of teachers, we are adults and we do have to approach them very differently than we do students. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. And and you really have to look, we really started off this model when we're really in the development phases. We were looking at the communication aspect. We spent a lot of time on scenarios that we would do with coaches if then uh, if this happened this is this is how you respond or if you can't come to this problem of practice this is the best solution for it so we try to have within our trainings I and mean, we do provide coaches ongoing professional learning that we provide realistic scenarios of things that could potentially happen in schools as we prepare them to coach. So it's about coaching and the coaching cycle and that effective feedback, but relationships are at the top of that list. So well stated. And I just, I love the thinking behind it and putting that into practice. Mississippi had a multi-pronged approach with their Literacy-Based Promotion Act, and one of these was training teachers in letters and then, of course, providing literacy coaches to low-performing schools. Was one of these more powerful than the other, or were they equally as important to the success that Mississippi has? So, Shelly, I am asked this question more often than others. Really? Uh, For us, the professional learning and the coaching go hand in hand. So we just know that when teachers go to professional development trainings, typically what happens is we go, especially if it's a one-time training, we go to the training, we get all this great information, we're excited to come back and implement it, but oftentimes we're bogged down with other things and other priorities. And what happens is we tend to put that great notebook with all of those great resources and things that we learn back on the shelf. So with coaching and the prof- having those things work together, having the professional learning and having the coaching work together helps the teacher really implement what they've learned within the professional learning opportunity and help them to change practice. So you have a coach there to help you implement what you've learned in the professional learning. So I feel like you can't have one without the other. And in 2014, and I don't know if you're familiar with this particular study, we looked at the implementation of our statewide early literacy professional development, which we use letters for that to train our teachers. And educators went through those online modules and the face-to-face workshops. And then we provided that coaching in what we call our literacy support school. And so the study examined changes in teacher knowledge of early literacy instruction. It looked at student engagement. It also looked at early literacy skills instruction and teaching competencies in Mississippi from winter of 2014 to fall of 2015. And the outcomes of that study were that the average educator increased from 48% to 59% on the teacher knowledge of early literacy skills survey. In our literacy support schools that had the targeted coaching, so here's the study that goes with this, and this is why we say it goes hand in hand. The average rating of uh, quality instruction increased from 31% to 58%. Impressive. Yes. 
And so then the average student engagement went from 37% to 53%. And then the average rating on teacher competency increased from 30% to 44%. That was coaching as well as our professional development. And you know, for people who don't know, increases like that are, are hard to come by. Because you're already talking about highly educated and trained people. Yeah. But when you really drill down, I would say, Shelly, to specifics, because we had prior to this, and and like many other states, we were a majority balanced literacy state. And so when you're really looking at transforming that and really folks really understanding the science and understanding those early literacy skills that should be taught in the earlier grade, and then having the coaching support to help with the implementation, the quality of instruction for us, that huge increase we saw that not only from that survey, but then we it, it translated into the data that we saw too. Well, because you were seeing that in your classrooms, the improved Absolutely. instruction. And, and that's really what all of this is about, is mm-hmm. improving instruction so that our kids achieve more. Absolutely. So it's had a lot of attention with Mississippi having the highest increase in NAEP scores in 2019, and a number of states have followed this model because of those increases and the other results that have come. What kind of positive impacts can you share besides those test scores? So we have experienced, like I stated earlier, from some of the increase with that quality of instruction and how that impacted or had this huge impact on data, we have experienced a a steady increase in performance from beginning of year to end of year outcomes on our kindergarten readiness assessment. A part of our law is that we look at readiness and growth for kindergartners. So we have a kindergarten readiness assessment that our kindergarten students are administered at the beginning of the year as well as the end of the year. And typically over, I would say, the course of about three to four years, we've seen students come in at the really early, early emergent level, like the early emergent level, and then leave kindergarten at the transitional reader level. And so we have seen that that data has steadily increased. Also, when it comes to coaching and our literacy support schools, we've seen several of our schools move from full support to limited support status. So Shelly, what we ended up having to do because we saw a change in practice and an improvement in student outcomes is that we had to create a gradual release model So again, that's that building the plane and flying it at the same time because you start to have to shift because things are shifting around you. So some of our literacy support schools, we had to build this gradual release model where we have some schools that get full support coaching where others are in limited support status. So we moved several schools to limited support status and some schools even moved off the list. We also saw a decrease in retention rate across the years. And then on the NAEP, and you mentioned NAEP scores, we also started to see the gap close when we're looking at our students of color and our students in poverty. We see that on that NAEP assessment, we see that that gap has has started to close. 
So that's extremely exciting when we're talking about and looking at equity, because, you know, for me, I believe literacy and equity go hand in hand. And so, you know, it's our job to make sure that all of our students have access to effective literacy instruction. I totally agree. And I love the different kinds of data because it's easy for people to try to explain away those NAEP scores, but it's been consistent over the years. But you have so many other areas where you're showing improvement that it negates some of these naysayers who say, oh, this is a trick. This is not true. There's so many different forms of data that show that it's working. Absolutely. And we look at all of it, even the anecdotal data. We've always been taught to, you know, triangulate your data, one piece and then look at the others. But you're right. We've had success. We've experienced success. Our teachers and students have in multiple areas because our early literacy policy. That's very, very encouraging considering we're copying large parts of this model. Training teachers was just one part of this equation. What part did administrators play and how has that work continued to evolve? So I always say leadership matters, just like literacy matters. So the majority of our literacy support schools, I spoke earlier about our gradual release model that we created and had to start implementing around 2017. But the majority of our literacy support schools that moved to limited support status had really strong literacy leaders that work in collaboration with the assigned literacy coach to create this shared vision of improving literacy at the school level. Um, In addition to administrators, we do have, early on, we had administrators go through the principal's primer. And it's a component of letters training specifically for school level administrators. So we had several hundred administrators across the state that completed letters for administrators. In addition to that, our school level administrators work in collaboration with our literacy coaches to create a school literacy action plan. And so they submit those plans in the fall and then they have the learning walks, they look at data and then they submit them to me again in the spring so that we we're able to see the growth that happens throughout the year. Like we're not waiting to the end to see the percentage of students you have that scored above a level two on the third grade reading assessment. We're looking at what does your screener data look like at the beginning of the year versus the middle of the year? How is this instruction changing? How do we need to go back and really look at the goals that we've set for particular grade levels? Are there additional supports that you need there? So administrators play a huge role. They play a huge role in this process. Agreed. And I was thinking of our sports analogy, even with those assistant coaches and all of those specialty areas where it takes all of these people working together to make it happen. It does. It's all hands on deck. And it's not only leaders, our literacy leaders, where our schools have moved to limited support status. They also gauge the community. So when you engage parents and community members 
in the literacy work, then you're creating this collaborative culture where we all are a part of this. So uh, our successful schools are schools that really have implemented and seen great improvements in literacy are those that create this culture of inclusiveness to include parents and community members in all of the support staff. And, and we have this shared vision of improving literacy in our school. Those are some powerful words, shared vision. And shared vision. That's what it takes. That's right. You've attributed some of what Mississippi did to learning from Florida. What are some of those lessons and what would you do differently now? So we really still have this great relationship with Florida. Kevin Smith and Laurie Lee with A Real Southeast, we really still partner with them in a lot of things. And we really, they really are our thought partners often in this process. We always want to know how can we improve on what we are already doing for students. So one thing that we learned from Florida very early on is the hiring process, really looking at hiring literacy coaches at the state level versus allowing districts and schools to hire literacy coaches. And so I know Florida, they have coaches in every school, but the hiring was left up to the district and not done at the state level. So that's one thing we learned. We control the hiring. However, again, going back to the shared vision and collaborative partnership and relationships, we have relationships with districts that they've loaned us their best and bright. So our coaches apply and they come from districts. We do all of the hiring, but we have what we call an educator in residence. And that's what our coaches serve is. They're educators in residence. So they're still directly tied to their school district on loan or to us um, to really do this work, this literacy work at the state level. And so we hire at the state level and then we also deploy coaches. So we make the selections as to where they go based on our formula for selecting schools and based on the areas of need. Those are that's one big lesson we've learned from Florida. Also, it was important too in just our conversation with Laurie Lee and Kevin to really focus on building relationships. So we took that from them as well. Take the time to build those relationships. It's worked for us. It, it has really worked for us. Well, I don't know Kevin, but I know Laurie, and I think she's just really so smart and brilliant, and that's great advice because everything depends on relationships. That's right. As the state literacy director for a place that's rocking literacy instruction already, what's the next thing you want to target in improving literacy? I would say the focus is on continuing our literacy and equity work through the implementation and use of high quality standards aligned instructional materials. So for us, this is where we are headed. We are, I believe, Our teachers are well-versed in the why. They really understand the science. We're still working on implementation, but I I feel like we're well-versed in the why and the how, but we need the vehicle to do. And for me, the vehicle becomes the materials. The materials alleviate some of the heavy lifting for teachers that they have to do in creating 
things. It lifts that cognitive load off of teachers to be able to use what they've learned in letters when they have effective or those materials that they need to improve instructional equity. So we're continuing our literacy work. Our our focus is on the implementation of the science of reading through a structured literacy model. But that next layer is the instructional, high quality instructional materials and making sure that teachers as well as students in Mississippi have access to that. Well, and I think that that's where Alabama is also going to be working. And I think that part of the pandemic and the funds that have been given to systems are actually designated for those high quality instructional materials. So I do think it's if not that the pandemic could ever be good timing, but we certainly needed money to invest in those kinds of materials. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our goal is is we're we are working to improve instructional equity. We want to make sure students have what they need and have access to those high quality standard aligned materials that support their learning. And that's really a national movement. So I love hearing what people are doing in their state. So hopefully Alabama can follow and do some of that same equity work. So Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate what you're doing and have done for students and teachers and their families. Thank you for having me and I enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Join us again next week for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast.